Um, my name is Jamie McMillan, and on behalf of the Pete Collaborative, um, we want to welcome you to the session. And um, and today we're going to be talking about developing and sustaining partnerships in Pete. And I just want to remind everyone of our norms. Um, and as I'm doing that, if you can please introduce yourself in the chat, so your name, institution, um, and say hello to the other Pete Collaborative folks who are here. Um, so you are muted, um, everyone who is in the session. And so if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, please raise your hand um, and you'll be unmuted by a moderator and then please remute yourself once you're finished speaking. Um, we are hoping to have a lot of people in this session. Um, and so understanding that you may not get the opportunity to, um, to contribute um, in the actual session. So using the chat feature is great as well. Um, let's make sure we're respectful of each other's ideas and opinions. Um, we really have striven to um, foster a sense of community. And so we hope to kind of make sure that we're discussing all of these problems, challenges, et cetera, through the lens of opportunity and growth. Um, we are also recording this session and it will be available as a podcast um, on the Playing with Research and Health and Physical Education podcast. So with that, I am going to pass it over to Emily to give us a brief overview of today's session. Thanks, Jamie, and thanks everyone who's uh, joining us again, or if it's your first time on the Pete Collaborative, we are thrilled to have you here. Uh, we are a group of uh, higher education faculty members who realized that we um, have an opportunity to connect with one another and share um, ideas of best practices, challenges, and opportunities on a monthly basis. So um, our topic this, this month is focusing on partnerships and collaborations. Um, the work that we do in higher education as, as teacher educators requires us to, uh, whether we like it or not, communicate um, our mission and vision with uh, folks within our department and division to establish our value, um, but also beyond our department and division, um, sometimes with uh, community stakeholders, sometimes with uh, individuals across our state um, and um, and so we're talking about uh, developing partnerships and sometimes our research uh, dissemination or when we talk about partnerships, we see the partnerships that have worked and have been fruitful. And we don't always talk about the partnerships that we started that that maybe we had struggles with and didn't uh, live for very long. And so as a way to kind of open the conversation, um, we have uh, several panelists who are going to share with us um, a little bit about the work that they do, the partnerships that they have been developing and uh, or their collaborations that they're working on. We've got three different types of partnership. Um, the first cluster is going to be um, some faculty members who are working on research-oriented collaborations and partnerships. Um, the second group is going to be focusing on partnerships that really elevate um, advocacy or policy-oriented work, what types of um, initiatives are going on in our field relative to advocacy and, part and policy. And then the third is going to be focusing on collaborations that um, elevate our teaching and our teacher education networks. So. We're going to start off with each group. Uh, each grouping is going to share individually the work that they're doing, what is the partnership, how it got started, kind of some um, 
struggles along the way or wins along the way as well. And maybe some nuggets of information for those of you on the call who um, have partnerships in progress, um, some lessons learned, um, or if you're interested in initiating a, a collaborative partnership with um, folks, um, ways that you might get something like this started where you are. So we're going to start off um, with Erin Centeo. She's going to share with us the work that she's doing there in Hawaii. Um, and if questions come up, uh, you're interested in Erin's work or things that she she mentions, go ahead and drop those into the chat because, because within each kind of um, grouping, we'll stop and pause, take a look at the chat and have some opportunity for Q&A before uh, we move on to the next collaboration or partnership type. So Erin, I'm going to send it over to you. Hi, everybody, and thanks to the Peak Collaborative group um, for having me on today. So I'm going to primarily focus on a grant that I'm working on right now called Ipa'aka Huavai Pavehe, which means so that our prize gourds can remain firm. And it's a um, project or a, a partnership with the Hawaii Department of Education um, that's funded through the Native Hawaiian Education Fund with the U.S. Department of Education. So my main focus is going to kind of be sharing about that partnership today. But I do think that previous partnerships that I've had in Michigan um, through uh, foundation funding um, with Blue Cross Blue Shield and the um, Hawaii Community Foundation, um, those Building Healthy Communities and Dearborn Shines are two similar projects that are funded by different agencies. And I think that what I'm going to share today kind of is something that I've learned along the way. So those influences of those projects might be kind of influencing my thoughts here today. So um, Ipa'aka uh, Huavai Pavehe is a comprehensive school health and physical education project um, that looks at implementing quality health and physical education um, to 20 schools across the state of Hawaii. And it's through four complex areas, which is essentially districts as you might know them kind of, um, that's the best that I, I can equate it to. And within each um, complex area, we have a series of elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools. And the grant itself looks at providing a lot of professional development and support to teachers around um, really, I'll say four different areas. Uh, one is health education. So implementing quality health education. Um, the second is physical education, so implementing quality physical education. The third is physical activity, so trying to integrate physical activity before, during, and after school. And then the fourth one is really tying in Native Hawaiian culture and um, providing professional development and training to teachers around cultural trauma and Native, Native Hawaiian culture and integrating Native Hawaiian culture into the three areas that I mentioned previously. So this partnership started um, with a call for proposal for a grant that came out from the U.S. Department of Education. And the call itself was STEM focused and I'm and workplace workforce placement. And I'm like, you know what, we're going to make this work um, for health and PE. And so we we reached out um, cold called at this point because I had only been in Hawaii about a year or so when I wrote this grant application. And of course, I had met um, people through 
student teachers and kind of being out in the field and trying to make connections, but I definitely didn't have any deep connections with schools when this application happened and just asked for complex area superintendents to meet with me and hear what we were kind of proposing and see if they would be interested. And so um, the complex area superintendents that applied or that replied to me, we essentially set up a phone call and I kind of explained to them what our idea was and we went from there to essentially establish our partnerships. Um, so one of the difficulties of this partnership was that it really formed over COVID. So we submitted our application in February of 2019 and then COVID hit in March, obviously, of 2019. So everything kind of shut down for a while and we essentially got funded in May of 2021. So a, a full like year and a half later. And so essentially almost it was almost like two years. So it was really hard kind of getting those conversations back up and started after COVID because everyone was still kind of in this like their own school bubble and they weren't letting um, people in. And so I think one of the challenges that we face in in our partnership with the Department of Ed is really just getting principals and complex area superintendents to respond to emails. That is something that is so hard because everyone is so busy, right? Like we're busy as faculty members um, and they're busy in the school setting. And so one of the things that I've learned about the way that has allowed us to be successful in the partnerships that we have created is that you have to like really meet people where they are. If you come in um, for lack of a better term, guns ablazing and say, this is what we got to do and we got to do it now, you're going to really um, push people away and that's not great for a partnership. And so you really have to come in with this concept of being mutually beneficial. And so some of that happens in research when you start whatever research project you're doing. How can this be beneficial for you? And let me tell you how it's going to be beneficial for me and for the global um the, you know, for everybody else that might read the research or the evaluation that's going to come out of this. And so I think being mutually beneficial is so important to the success of partnerships and also just being flexible because some schools, they might not be ready to be fully on board right now, but you just don't know what's going on inside those inner workings of a school because there's so much going on. And so if you're patient and you just kind of keep reaching out, keep keep giving them nuggets, keep trying to make contact with them, um, eventually, hopefully, you're going to be able to hook them. And then I think the other thing is, is that um, recognizing that you're not going to be able to win them all over, right? There's going to be some that just aren't as thrilled about the project as you are or as other schools are and so being okay with that so again like meeting them where they're at trying to bring them along but realizing that they might not come as far along as other um, schools are so i think that like being mutually beneficial and that that role of communication within the partnerships that i've dealt with is so important and then the other thing I think is important is being available. Um, you know, there's some things that schools might ask you to do that you really don't have time for. And people tell me all the time that I need to learn to say no. But I think one of the things that 
really helps the partnerships that I've created is the fact that I do try to accommodate my schools in the best way that I can. There's sometimes that I do have to say no, but sometimes if I can make it work, I want to be out there doing an extra professional development for them because they want that professional development, not because the grant needs it. And again, that's that mutually beneficial um, role that we play. Um, so one of the things as I was thinking about, they asked for advice that I have about for others thinking about engaging in partnership. Um, you know, a lot of the funding and, and research that I do is I would categorize it more evaluation research um, than research control design. Um, you know, it's I don't get funding from the NIH or I haven't really applied for that funding in the past because I'm not looking to do randomized controlled trials. Um, I like to be in the community, building programs in the community that are going to be sustainable, working with the community and the schools. And a lot of times those programs um, are not conducive to randomized controlled trials, right? Because in that type of research funding, it there's like very strict guidelines to data that has to be collected and, and whatnot. And so I think one of the advice, one of the advices that I would give to you or pieces of advice that I would give to you is that making sure that as you start to build these partnerships, whether you're starting because you want to apply for a grant or whether you're just starting to get involved, make sure that you understand kind of what your vision is and be true to that. I know that I'm not going to come in and ask my schools um, to do all of this heavy lifting because that's not necessarily my philosophy. I try as an evalu as evaluation as part of my grant projects to make everything as easy as possible for my schools because they don't have time. So whether that's um, writing additional steps into data governance in collecting consents or doing more on our end to collect data that we need, trying to make it as easy as possible on the schools, but also realizing that the data that I'm getting might not be perfect. And obviously that's going to affect the type of publishing that I do as a research, but I'm okay with that because my philosophy is really about making a difference in the community and um, having programs that are going to be sustainable later on. And sometimes that's not tied to that real strict funding that you might see in NIH or NSF. Um, so in the advice, I would say, make sure that you're, if you're thinking about getting funding for your research and, and these partnerships that you want to fund, make sure that you're applying for funding that's going to match because there's nothing that's going to turn a school off more than trying to build these partnerships. And then you have all of these things that you're asking them to do, but they're not getting um, a lot in return. So I think I'll wrap it up there. Awesome, Erin, thank you so much um, for sharing all of that. Um, I'm not seeing any questions in the chat yet. And so um, as folks are kind of digesting um, what Erin was saying, I'm going to pass it over to Emily. Um, and then um, we also have uh, Luciana Zest and JK Yoon and Desmond Delk here that are going to share um, more information about partnerships upcoming. So Emily, do you want to jump in and then um, we'll we'll talk about your partnership? Sure. Thanks. 
kind of a weird doubling down here on hosting and sharing a little bit today. So um, abbreviating mine, and I don't know why I agreed to go next to Erin Centeo. She always is such a rock star, but I'll do my, my best here. Um, so I'm at Illinois State University. This is my the start of my seventh year here. Um, and I too, like Erin, came from a different institution where I was mentored and be and able to be um, part of some outreach initiatives and, re and grant funded projects that really shaped my thinking about working with school partners and in school communities. Um, and so I bring a lot of that uh, thankful um, to have been mentored by others at, at West Virginia University before coming here to ISU. Um, what I learned coming into a new institution um, was that um, I knew that I wanted to be working with schools and the and the schools within our within the state, um, and was fortunate enough to have kind of a lunch and learn hosted by um, the Center for Civic Engagement, which is a, a an organization here on campus. They were they were hosting this as a way to. Um, kind of have a meet and greet. So they had invited individuals from different social sectors across uh, the region, um, education, business, healthcare, nonprofit, for-profit, et cetera. And those um, folks came in and sat at tables and you got to go and, and visit with them either the whole time or uh, part of the time. And it just so happens stands that um, an individual uh, who is now the superintendent of schools locally uh, was there and I shared, we had a lovely conversation about um, how the university setting and has um, expertise and capacity to help schools consider um, how their wellness environments and what their wellness policies, practices, um, and protocols, um, what they look like, how we could maybe partner better to evaluate wellness environments. Um, and conversations that stemmed from that um, got me in the door to sit down and, and chat with uh, their wellness director and their director of food service. And it turns out that being funded uh, federally by the school lunch program, they are required to do a triannual evaluation of their wellness environments and how they're adhering to certain policies. Um, if you can imagine um, policy adherence in schools sometimes becomes something where you're just capturing data and then sending it off to the funding mechanism and uh, those data are really never heard of again or do they inform practices or changes to policy. Um, and so uh, we were able to, in some of those initial conversations, recognize that um, more intentional, robust, and meaningful data collection um, and interpretation and use of those data could inform their wellness environments, policies, and practices in a in a, a more robust and meaningful way for everyone. So that was kind of the birth of what is now what we call the District 87 Wellness Collaborative. Um, that has that started in 2017. Those initial conversations, and it is in, evolved into. Um, an ongoing, it's actually a research um, uh, partnership that we have We've got a five-year memorandum of understanding with the district and this interdisciplinary team of researchers that are here on campus and within our community. Uh, shout out to Andrew Eberlein, who's one of those faculty members who's on our call, who joins us um, today. Um, but we have um, faculty members and researchers who um, come from um, developmental psychology, um, school nursing, social work, 
geography, um, park rec administration and exercise science in addition to our PE pedagogy um, experts on our team. And the reason that that team evolved was because we recognized quite quickly that um, uh, one person isn't going to be able to look at the issue of school wellness environments, policies, <laughs> protocols, uh, processes uh, in such a way that really gets at um, the issue, the complex issues that that do exist. So what we recognized really early on is that we needed to bring in um, people who had the know-how, the expertise, and the capacity to better support the school district. Um, so it's very much ecologically framed um, from, you could think of it kind of as a whole school, whole community, whole child, or a WISC framework, where we look um, at and across the school environment. And people who um, are currently in the school, who are assets, um, what it is that's working, and how we might um, better evaluate more comprehensively um, both the assets and areas of needed improvement. So the project started with a pretty comprehensive needs assessment, um, and that helped us recognize that we needed um, folks like school nurses and social workers and our community partners to be part of this uh, research initiative that would not only collect these data from stakeholders, but then use these data um, and co-analyze and co-interpret these data for how they're going to be um, informing the school and what decisions that they make. Um, some of the, the things that have come from this is um, the team in and of itself, we didn't write or receive the funding, but because of the feasibility and needs assessment data that we facilitated collecting, uh, the school district received $5 million um, to uh, focus on mental health, um, um, early intervention, prevention, and treatment for across the entire district. Um, they've been able to hire um, different uh, positions and personnel based on the data that we have captured um, and, and use that to leverage additional resources, um, funding sources within the district um, mechanism as well as funding sources throughout the state. So one of the things that we um, have had to do is be really responsive to their needs. Um, Aaron made a really, really good point was recognizing what your vision is um, and sticking to it. Um, we kind of bent the rule a little bit um, in that because we needed to and we committed to as a group to be responsive to the needs of the school. Um, now, the integrity of data collection and so forth, we haven't bent right um, in that regards, but we really are looking and listening to what the data say and then responding um, in what the school, the administration, what they prioritize and what they're able to prioritize um, in changes uh, or implementation of different programs. Um, one thing that came up um, just as an example is from the data, we, we, it was very evident. Initially, our focus was on um, children and adolescent health. Um, the data was so telling that really staff and teacher health is an area that needs to be focused in the school district. So we've kind of pivoted a little bit to focus more in on um, coping stress, burnout, and turnover issues um, that this school district is, is recognizing as a priority. So um, 
reliability showing up, communicating, uh, maintaining that level of trust and transparency um, has been key and critical, as well as um, setting egos aside. Anytime a new member of the research collaborative that comes in, um, it's not a mean conversations, but it's a frank conversation. And the culture we've established with our team is such that um, if you don't understand the alphabet soup that someone from school psychology or developmental psychology just described, don't be afraid to ask. Um, we've learned a lot from one another by being stronger together and recognizing that I don't have to be the expert in all of these areas as so long as I develop a team around me um, that can very well be um, answering the questions that the school district needs. So um, I'm gonna pause there. I'm not gonna share all of our research outcomes and things that we're doing moving forward, um, but um, it's been it's been a dynamic and, and ever-changing um, um, process and the team has remained um, committed to partnering with the integrity of best interest at the for the school um, and students and community. So that Thanks. is the Wellness Collaborative. Awesome. Thanks so much, Emily. And uh, Risto made a comment that I think you kind of addressed there towards the end about, you know, working with the diverse group and, and things. Erin, I wanted to come back to you for a second because um, one of the things um, that I was interested in is Obviously, given the focus of the partnership that you have is specifically looking at Native Hawaiian youth, um, how do you navigate that, um, obviously, as a white woman and doing that kind of work um, within that space? Thanks, Jamie. Um, yeah, that I mean, that's a really important question, because one of the things that we pride our project on is that it is culturally relevant. Um, and so I think it starts at, at design, right? Like I can't come in and design um, a project or even think of a grant by myself. And so I have a co-principal investigator, Kule Serna, who's in our College of Education. She is the director of elementary ed here at the University of Hawaii. Um, she herself is Native Hawaiian and she studies kind of cultural trauma among Native Hawaiian youth and her background actually happens to be more health education. And so partnering with Kule from the beginning and sharing ideas that I had and listening to ideas that Kule had was really important. And then kind of developing our vision together um, was important kind of like in the, in the initial phases. And then um, making sure that you're involving community uh, and community might not be the same depending on how big your partnerships are. So for us, um, community in a sense, we um, have had numerous meetings with the um, Office of Hawaiian Education within the Department of Ed. Um, some of that is trying to gather ideas from them of needs, um, maybe uh, trying to gather data and, and what they think is the most important thing to focus on around Native Hawaiian youth, um, but then also bouncing ideas back um, off of them and, and asking their opinion on how something might be perceived um, within the community. Um, other partnerships, um, you know, might include local uh, close people within the school that they're already working with that are Native Hawaiian. Um, because every school is going to be different and they they have different communities and so within one community it might be 
um, more, you know, native Hawaiian and Polynesian, whereas um, an, another community might have a mixture of native Hawaiian and Micronesian. And so understanding the community as a whole and working with community partners for each of those schools is going to be really important. And so for us, it's really just about not being shy and not being afraid to reach out and ask for help. Um, you know, we had this vision that we wanted to um, make our health education lessons more culturally relevant. And I didn't, I, like I wrote that in the grant, but I didn't really know what that looked like when, like, as I was thinking about it, because I don't have that content knowledge, right? And so as we were going through um, our, uh, our professional developments around our initial health education curriculum, which we use HealthSmart, which obviously is not cultural, culturally relevant within itself. Um, one of the teachers approached me and said, hey, um, we have a dual language program here at our school. So they teach in Hawaiian. And we're wondering if there's funds in the grant to translate all the materials into Hawaiian. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. And so like, you have to be flexible in a sense. And the grant that I'm working on now is a huge grant. So it allows me to have funding to be able to do that. And, and I might, you know, take that funding away from something else that I had planned, but that is really important in this context is having it in dual language, which wasn't originally planned. Um, and then also then paying teachers that are interested and have that background in native Hawaiian culture to essentially look through the lessons and create ties within those lessons. So those are just some ways that, um, I have navigated it. I don't know if it's the right way or not, but I think that always being self-reflective, understanding your own positionality within um, the context and being open to suggestions and really listening to the teachers and the school community is um, what's most important and try your best from there. Aaron, love, I love that. I think there's a lot of pieces there that are, is going to translate into um, each of the panelists moving ahead. So what we've got here is um, Risto made comment in the in the chat. And so we're not going to address that now about some of the challenges maybe working across sector um, or across discipline. But Luciana West has got this amazing project going on at Towson University with colleagues um, in and around kinesiology or adjacent to Pete, um, public health um, and sports psych. And um, I think that this is an example perhaps of maybe the challenges of working with individuals in uh, related disciplines and also um, the opportunities that come from, from doing, um, doing that. So Luciana, you're up. Hi, okay, am I on mute? Hi, everybody. Uh, nice to be here uh, and see you all. Thank you so much for having me, uh, giving me this uh, space to share about this work. Um, I'm Luciana Zest. I'm an associate professor at Towson University in Maryland. And uh, the name of our initiative is Weight Inclusive Thinking. I'm gonna drop the link of our website here. Um, on the chat in case some uh, folks want to take a, take a look at that and uh th this i like that how, how jamie put it into like uh, an advocacy project which it is right so back in 2019 um my colleague uh dr sammy lee she's in sport and exercise psychology 
Another conversation and a lot of frustrations, right? We realized we wanted to create education materials for physical activity and health professions, professionals that address uh, weight stigma in physical activity settings, right? So, so we were like, we, we need those materials. They don't exist. Um, we were framing our thinking based on the health at every size paradigm. And we decided we wanted to, you know, do this and create those materials. So again, we were in the same department. I'm in Pete. This was back at uh, Chico State in California and semi and exercise in sports psychology. Uh, we found another department uh, in nutrition and in, in, in in nutrition and public health, uh, somebody who was pretty much an expert in the health at every size approach and had been doing that for a while. And the three of us, you know, uh, applied, we applied for my sabbatical, right? I had a sabbatical at Chico State to write this program, right? To create the curriculum. It was pretty much a module. So we spent a good time uh, writing and creating this curriculum. And our goal was to make this, um, First of all, we wanted to be uh, to, to be evidence-based, to see that there was some efficacy in the curriculum, but we also wanted to make it widely available free of charge. I think that's been our mission, right? We want that our ultimate goal is that every uh, professional can have access to this materials free of charge. And obviously that presents uh, several challenges. As you know, scaling things is also uh, difficult. But we decided that the way to go was to develop an online course. This was a pre-pandemic, but we thought that that was a good idea because that would allow us to scale it. So once we had all the curriculum written down, this is what we want, um, we needed partners to make that work. So to speak to what Erin was saying about you know, positionality, uh, we were advocating for people with larger bodies. So we, do, we did not belong to the community. So that was the first thing that we had to you know, come to terms with. And we needed people that could take a look at our materials and see if you know, our materials were representing their voices and needs. Uh, thankfully, we got a grant from NACI and we could pay some consultants right, that work in body liberation right, and had done this before. And we could spend a, uh, some money into that. And that gave us you know, peace of mind. It helped us reframe. So we got the content right and we're ready to go. But now we have to make this online course work. And yeah, we know how to do Blackboard and that kind of stuff, but we wanted something you know, engaging, interactive, uh, something that would actually make an impact. So we needed instructional designers and that stuff is incredibly expensive, right? And obviously we know that professional organization grants are typically small. Uh, I could not be more grateful, but in outreach, so we're starting to outreach to people and say, trying to find out and get some budget and gosh, it's very expensive. But we had this couple of angels that came up to us and say, we're gonna do this for free. We gotta do it for you because we need to put in our uh, we want a portfolio. We're building our business and we, wanna, we want your work to help us and we're going to help you. So he's a web designer. So he did our website and she, an instructional designer, they're married and they're like, we're going to do this for you. Uh, it's valuable and let's do it. So 
They helped us create our, put it together, our first material, our first course. It's called Wit Fits, Weight Inclusive Thinking for Fitness Spaces. Um, at one point, they had to start training us in how to do things because obviously, right, it, it, it's a lot. So at one point, you know, they were starting to kind of like, hey, there's just so much that we can do. So we're going to train you. Uh, and I got a lot of training is something I'm interested in and end up, you know, in terms of benefits, that was one of it. I learned so much about design, but at, at a point I'm like doing, looking at color palettes and oh my God, that was just uh, a, a learning curve, but we did it. We piloted in uh, three rec centers to begin with. And, and one of those rec centers, the important partner. So at uh, Cal State LA, we were able to partner with the rec director who was super willing and actually used our course as training for their income staff. So it's like, hey, again, it's a win-win, right? You get your data and we have our staff doing the course, right? So this was very helpful for us. Um, there were some other rec centers involved. We got good data. Uh, this paper is coming up soon, so that's exciting. And based on that, we were able to apply for more funding and got more funding from ASPA, the Applied Association for Applied Sports Psychology, and then NURSA, which is the association that um, kind of oversees and organizes college campus rec. So we're now just, um, we, 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 wanted, we wanted to get some evidence that our training will improve fitness professionals' attitudes towards fitness, towards individuals with larger bodies, right? So we wanted that data. That was important to us. We want to see some efficacy. To this date, there was no interventions that had been done with in-service professionals. Most are pre-service based. So we wanted that to happen. And we needed to develop a control course, right, to do it. And thanks to that partnership and that people who were like, hey, we're doing this, we were able to, again, work the entire process, create the control course. And um, we just now did the random control trial. And it's messy. It, it, it ends, it's challenging, it's messy. Because now I have like this multiple emails of people trying to log in and get in the course. And, and I don't have the web designer and the IT person anymore because I can't afford to keep paying them. So I think those are some of the challenges. Uh, what benefits have resulted? My goodness, right, is I cannot begin um, to, to describe, but not only we got, you know, we got the program, we got research done, but how this is just growing. Now we are creating a collaborative just like this. It's called Weight Inclusive Thinking, right? And we're just launching this collaborative. We had about three meetings and we actually look into some stuff that this collaborative had done with professionals from various areas. Now we have other people say, hey, I want to apply for sabbatical. I want to use your program and I want to you know, test in a different population, right? I want to test with personal trainers, which it's probably different than campus rec uh, folks. Now, um, um, so 
Our goal continues to create these materials. Uh, one of my next steps is to bring this to physical education and we're going to repeat the whole process, which I forgot to say, started with the needs assessment. So my next step is the needs assessment, reviewing the literature, learning what's that and creating the materials. The challenges, uh, I think it's also funding. You know, we got funding from three organizations and it's difficult, uh, especially when we want the course to be free and we want to make it available, right? And it costs us about $1,500 a year just to have it running, right, in uh, our website and whatnot. So how do we do that moving forward? So I think now we are in that phase. I think uh, obviously now that we have real good data from the pilot and the random control, the course works, it significantly improved the participants' uh, anti-fat attitudes. Now, how can we scale this and disseminate without charging? Um, and in terms of advice, I think it's just having an open mind. I mean, me and my team, we, uh, there are times that we disagree, things come up, you know, uh, we use the health of every size paradigm and now they are changing their principles. Like, like it's constant moving pieces and, you know, at times messy and challenging. But, you know, when I get an email from, you know, rec center director dad i think it was at princeton saying hey this is fantastic i love it can you come talk to my staff you know i think it feels like we are making a difference that people are receiving the course i i was just analyzing data on the qualitative comment qualitative comments on the post survey that we did and it's very encouraging so i think we the only way to do this is collectively Throughout the process, we need a, a person that is an expert in statistics, and we brought somebody in to do that, right? We have brought multiple students across time to help us with different pieces. And I think, um, yeah, I think keeping an open-minded as it, it won't be perfect, but it is this diverse group of projects that of diverse group of people that you know can move things forward into and 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 getting concrete results so we are excited it has been a great journey so thank you for listening and being here awesome thanks so much lucy and for sharing the great project and if you haven't checked out the website the website looks amazing so well done on that um folks if you have questions Again, about that project, um, there'll be a little bit of time at the end, but also feel free to engage with Lucy in the chat um, if you're interested. I'm going to kind of shift um, perspectives here to think kind of, we sort of categorize this section as kind of a professional engagement or something. I can't remember exactly the term, but thinking about other ways that folks are partnering um, with different agencies or other universities um, in order to, um, um, move their kind of work ahead or, or partner for various reasons. And so I'm going to ask um, Desmond um, to, to introduce himself and kind of chime in a little bit about some of the work um, that he's been doing um, with HBCUs. Hi, everybody. I am Desmond Delk. I am at Langston University in Oklahoma, and Langston University is a historically Black university. Um, if you're familiar with um, the United States, you understand why we have these institutions or why they were established at some point. Um, segregation was the rule of land and 
Uh, you still have these schools here. And uh, recently, I will serve as a chair for the Social Justice and the um, Corporate Diversity Committee um, for NACI. And for this year's conference, my goal was to, you know, one of my charges were um, how could we bring um, more people to the conference who may not typically be represented or from institutions which are not that are not re usually represented. And so um, my goal was to just kind of reach out to other faculty members at historically black colleges um, and universities, as well as um, other minority serving institutions. And so on, um, on that quest, you know, um, I had a committee of people that kind of assisted me with this. And so there are resources that I use to uh, really get the list of all historically black colleges uh, within the country. And there are about 107 including some two-year colleges. Um, and so I, I, I really just, when we said cold call, uh, sh um, shot a lot of emails out. Uh, was And the goal, what I had to get approval at NACI was to offer four um, registrations for our national conference. And so what it was, and we wanted people to, we wanted um, individuals from these institutions to uh, present at the conference, but also become members, which um, some of them were. On top of that, um, yeah, and for people who were um, selected for the conference, whose um, presentations were approved, we offered um, the registration was waived. So after everybody, you know, after everybody was um, accepted for the presentations, I looked at the list of um, individuals, and there were just about four people from historically black colleges, including I was like the fifth um, person. Another colleague who was already part of NACU who was um who was already there so we can't we were kind of like excluded from that list and so the four people um who were on the list from historic black colleges we i kind of reached out to them and um informed them that they were um to be recipients for this award um and what i did prior to even prior to that was reaching out to these individuals at these uh, institutions and let them know about NACI and that the conference was coming along and then the, with the deadline for the proposals for that particular year. So I, I think I started like in May or um, yeah, in May and June of 2022 for our 2023 conference. And, you know, we just shout out emails, you know, let them know that we want um, to hear their voices too at these at the pre at the conference. And so some of the benefits from the the partnership. So of the four individuals, one person never responded, right? But he still ended up at the conference, which was a good thing. Um, however, we were able to extend the um, the registration to a person who was at a minority serving institution, historically serving institution. And um, everybody presented. One person has just finished, um, just kind of finished her doctorate. And she was like, this is her first national conference, right? And so I was kind of glad to see, um, to be, be able to be a part of connecting people to, and not only to their first national conference, but specifically NACI, because I believe that um, the work that NACI does is um, very, very good um, in trying to help people develop as leaders um, and all, you know, in all, in all, aspects of the you know the academy from you know assistant professor to the administrative roles right and so um i was happy to see that um the challenges i faced i just i got a, a lot of non-responses non for people right so i did call some people directly um on their phones but you know depending upon what you know i don't know people's schedules right so those were some of the um the barriers 
Uh, some people didn't respond, right? Um, it could they might might have um perceived it as just a regular call for proposals at um any type of conference, right? And so that that was kind of one barrier. But I mean, you know, the mission was um achieved. What advice would I give about um doing similar partnerships? I think we're all in we're all in locations where there that a lot of us are in locations, especially in the southeast, where you have um historically black colleges right and so building partnerships with your institution and them is simply just a call away right sometimes we have to um just stop by i would say pull up on somebody and you know just kind of introduce yourself to that individual um and try to build a you know meaningful partnership right um whether it be like um from research because oftentimes you have people that come to these spaces these communities and we want to, you know, conduct research on these people, right? And to sometimes to confirm like um health disparities and things of that nature without having some benefit from that per particular person in the community. Like in with a benefit meaning like a long-term benefit, as opposed to, you know, um there's some exchange of a gift card or something like that for your time. So I think my goal was to connect with individuals at these institutions so they will one um be invested in that key right so some one of the individuals who who came he's now on one of the committees right and so we have people that are now part of the organization um who have now built a community community and now we're extending and you know with these branches are um you know connected in ways that will um you know, help when we think about like diversifying the field right we are we see a lot of research on um extending you know, the network and where to find students. And we know that um, underrepresented students may be at these institutions that serve these students, right? And so I think this is one way that we um, we bridge, you know, our institution, our organizations to these um, individuals. So we will be able to develop um, future professionals in the field. So, I mean, so, so essentially that was my goal. You know, I, I thought about historic Black colleges. I went to Morehouse College for undergrad. So I had that, um, I had that zest for that just from there. And then um, Dr. Jared Russell, um, he, um, I was a student at Morehouse when he came to Auburn to try to create this bridge program. And it was just a matter of him being persistent um, and just showing himself. And I thought that I would kind of do that for Nike within that role of, um, you know, trying to increase diversity, but also um, diverse thoughts and um, the diversity of the institutions that we serve, that we partner with. So that's pretty much my experience. Yeah, thanks, Desmond. I think mm -hmm. it's so interesting to think about, you know, a lot of the other partnerships um, there, you know, was like a specific product or outcome or research. And, and I think the, the fact that you invested kind of your own personal time into developing these partnerships um, really for the greater good, right, to get more people involved um, and to give people opportunities um, that they might not have otherwise had or been aware of, I think is really important. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, JK, I'm going to come over to you. And again, folks, um, if you have questions, pop them in the chat and we'll come back to them at the end or panelists, you can engage with people in the chat. Um, but JK, I'm going to come over to you to talk a little bit about the Adapted Physical Education Grant and how that's bringing together um, Adapted Physical Education programs across the country. First of all, thank you for having me here. I'm excited to be part of this, uh, the PEG <coughs> collaborative. And uh, the title of our 
collaborative team is a multi-institution adopted physical, like uh, multi-institution adopt physical activity mentorship consortium. And partner universities are East Carolina University, Georgia State, University of Delaware, Oregon State, Old Dominion, and University of Virginia, and Texas Women's University, West Virginia University, and Ohio State University. <clears throat> so there are nine universities uh, working together to training a uh, doctoral scholar, so a doctoral students in adult physical education to reduce critical shortages in qualified personnel in US high institution. And their second uh, objectives, what we're doing is we're trying to be creating a collaboration among different faculties and then universities working together. And then third, the, our objective is we disseminate what we learn, you know, how to collaborate with the different schools and how to training doctor students to be in the larger audience to try to make sure people know <clears throat> Well, using some of the knowledges we're gaining from a doctorate training. How this project started was uh, I was in the, a, uh, the one of our conferences and the US Department of Education, a personnel presenting different mechanism and there are calls three to five H mechanism, uh, which I never heard before. And so I had uh, some past experiences working with a number of grants applications to U.S. Department of Education. And this particular uh, mechanism I never heard before. And, you know, this mechanism is available every five years. So, so it's not annual things, it's just every five years showing it. So I heard that mechanism, and when I going back to uh, the about three, four years ago, the, the call, and it was a very uh, targeted to a certain group of people we may, may not be able to uh, compete as a physical education educators. So the intent of the three to five H was a small field like adult physical education, which faculty members are small number in each university. So the the trainees may, may not get a getting large ex experiences with different perspective. So they tried to creating in a collaborative a consortium to creating a training highly qualified doctor students. And <clears throat> I look at it their, FA, uh, their, their three years ago, RFA at that time, we're not compared. So what I did was, uh, so I have a colleague who worked closely worked with me, Justin Hagerl in Old Dominion. We wrote a um, so-called white paper so we we wrote white paper and we sent it to Washington D.C. and a proposed. This is really important, you know, for their, for us. And then, you know, they you know once they send it to white paper, they actually call us to to meet. So I went to D.C. and you know met a bunch of uh, their higher officials, and then they scheduled to meet about sixty minutes, and then actually meeting went to pretty. 90 minutes almost in you know, two hours, you know, we're discussing number of options, although they, they really grill. And they I did not hear anything from them. And then I have another meeting with uh, the Office of Special Education Directors. And I asked the director what is happening, whether whether that physical education can be compete to the, those competition or not. And the person said, uh, we'll be able to compete. So 
since then we start to preparing grant for the bond year and then uh, when proposal came out we're lucky luckily we are able to get funded so it's a very significant amount to grant <clears throat> for the five years and training 28 uh, minimum of 28 uh, doctors scholars in the African education and there so the benefits we're getting is uh, we will bring very different perspectives. I was working at uh, Oregon State before joining ECU. <clears throat> and you know, many of the doctorate training, we often focusing on a uh, the research one institution perspective. And many of the doctorate, you know, our graduates may not going to go research one school. So one of the intent when we trying to be creating this a benefit was uh, not only faculty from a RN school, but other doctor level university training doctor program, but does not necessarily bring the RN perspective. So we intentionally handpick some of the schools may may not be well known or RN school, but we are able to invite them. So we actually bring very different perspectives from the different people. And there are about 10 faculty working together. So they all bring the different point of view, their, their different expertise, and uh, it benefit from <clears throat> all scholars, students are uh, training by this program. The challenges, because we are so different. So as a, as a PI right now, managing a uh, the nine different universities and you know, there are nine different way of budgeting. There are nine different way of giving GA ships. You know, so as as an administrative point of view, it was very difficult. Also internally, they are quite challenging because the change is difficult. You know, each faculty and each university has a culture and their own perspective, and it's very difficult to integrating. And which is a great benefit, scholars can seeing it the differences, but at the same time, those uh, differences can be creating a lot of a confusion to scholars and students too. So it is a, is a, is a great benefit to see the diversity, but is at the same time, having so much difficulty and diversity creating a lot of a confusions and challenges and you know th those type of challenges we, we deal with it, not only administrative portions, but also different perspective. You know, the, what type of advice I can do people, you know, the, the, in reality, if I'm able to write in grant and getting the grant, I think almost every faculty in the United States can able to get grant. You know, when we, this RFA is coming out, we do not just look at it and we do not walk away. You know, we, we, you know, we sit down and writing a white papers and those write, writing white paper took him about six months. <clears throat> And it's about two page long, you know, the document and justify why we need to have, you know, this three to five age need to be, you know, the funding, you know, that physical education. And we are able to, I was able to send it to my project officers and then have a conversation and they are able to talk to the boss and they're reviewing it and they are actually invite back to us to Washington DC. And you know, they are really asking a lot of questions. And then next when RFA is coming, they are able to open up you know, the, their RFA so we can actually compete. So previously we are not able to compete in the, their RFA. So, so you know, people I think are like 
you know, their grand writings and things people think is just automatically, you know, coming, but actually we can creating those things. One of the really goal of this consortium was uh, we intend, I intentionally inviting for the assistant professors in some of the university, because of many schools talking about grant, many schools talking about some other things in reality, the grant training is very relatively small. You know, people you generally don't get actual grant, you know, no, you know, training. So we're trying to be not only mentoring uh, undergrad, our doctorate students, but also we want to mentor uh, those system professors. So when we started, we have about among four people was a system professor. And there are two people from uh, three people was a full professor and the remaining is associate. Now there's a competition change a little bit, but we definitely inviting for the assistant professor for the specific purposes. Okay. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And um, I do know like your team has come to Hawaii and things like that. So there's other benefits as well, um, I think to being involved in that partnership. And I love what you said, JK, about um, you know providing those opportunities too for assistant professors because a lot of times um, folks that aren't as senior don't have those opportunities. And so I appreciate um, those, those thoughts. I think that the one thing that's consistent kind of across all of the folks that have talked about partnerships today is that they take a lot of work, right? So everyone is talking so like neatly about um, these partnerships and things. And I think that these <clears throat> partnerships are hard to sustain from the standpoint of you know, thinking about um, thinking about the time we have to spend doing all the other parts of our jobs, and that oftentimes the partnerships are some of the most fulfilling work that we do, but it's also not always necessarily recognized within sort of our structure. So I just want to commend everyone um, that shared about their partnerships today, and as Emily put in the chat. Um, we'd love to kind of just hear from others who are on the call today about any of the partnerships that you have going on um, or allow additional time for folks to ask questions of any of our panelists. So I'll just kind of open it up. Um, and if folks want to share, you can uh, raise your hand, um, either your physical hand or your virtual hand, um, and we can we can open up the conversation. Yeah, Lucy, go ahead. I don't want to share. I just uh, wanted to tell JK that uh, Emily and I, we had uh, an undergrad student at West Virginia that just graduated from her doctorate through the through the grant you mentioned. And she's just now applying for jobs and as a system professor, and we couldn't be more proud, you know, and she was telling me about the grant the other day on the phone. And uh, yeah, super cool. So just wanted to let you know. Thank you. You know, the, the, you know. I mean, we're really lucky to have a lot of schools and sending us students, and we really want to have our, our scholars learning, you know, not only one perspective, but multiple different perspectives, you know, different, multiple different uh, research method, because it would, we all has uh, some research expertise in one area, but uh, the, we, we are not necessarily know everything. So we're trying to bring the different people's different perspectives. So hopefully 
the, our the students will have a little bit more well-balanced um, understanding of research service and teaching responsibility. And I was in uh, the Aran the school for the 20 years and many doctorate training was uh, solely based upon Aran school's point of view. And I felt, you know, it, it is important to have a strong research school, but also our students need to understanding different perspective and different job responsibilities because many of my past students informed me that it was a quite surprise to them once going to go uh, their more regional school with a more focusing on teaching. And we want to do our scholars understanding different perspective and different under, you know, level of our engagement in different areas. Great, thank you so much for adding that. Um, Emily, do you wanna jump in? Risto had asked a question early on, and I think this is actually relevant to a lot of the partnerships that were developed that, um, that include folks from different sectors or um, you know, maybe theor theoretical backgrounds and different things. So um, how have you navigated that working with such an interdisciplinary team? Yeah, and I think that's, I think it's keen to recognize that the challenges are going to come with um, any sort of new relationship or um, new partnership that might get developed. Um, before I answer that, I, I just put in the chat, it's sort of real clear that all of the just all of the partnerships and these initiatives that have started thus far kind of started with someone's recognizing that there was a challenge or a problem that needed to be addressed, whether it was um, not having representation at national organizations um, and, and sharing and disseminating research from different perspectives to needing um, more adapted physical activity and physical education specialists or weight stigma within our movement and physical education fitness settings. Um, or the need for cultural responsive um, and, and um, uh, understanding cultural trauma and how we're going to address that within schools. Um, and so the each of those issues don't have a single solution, right? Like you could call it a wicked problem, right? This is there's so many factors that go into the problem itself. Um, things that are far beyond one's control, maybe it's ingrained in um, society or um, it's it's raised its head as a result of COVID or otherwise um, other social factors. But the to answer or at least shed light on the, this notion of working across discipline is um, there's really, um, it's exciting that there's no single answer, right? So the grant mechanism and the consortium that JK described, there could have been and there might still be in the future six, alternative ways to solve that problem. Uh, and it's commendable that that consortium group um, has taken a stand and worked together to do what it is that they're doing. Same, similar to Luciana, there's probably multiple ways that we can and should address weight stigma and body inclusivity and uh, addressing some of those issues. But what she's doing is making and moving the needle in, in some way. Um, and because of that, it's going to require lots of different perspectives, you know, looking at the issue from different from different ways. Um, because chances are, if I'm the only one coming up with a solution, I'm only looking at it from my lens, from my lived experiences, which is which is limiting. Um, and what I've found maybe more than a benefit rather than a challenge to working with people across discipline, and maybe others have 
would counter this um, or or go, come along with it is that I find myself learning and seeing the world differently as a result of partnering with people across sector, across professions and in different disciplines. I no longer can walk into a school and not see um, the food insecurity issues and the challenges of um, stressed out, burnout, and high turnover rates of teachers um, and administrators. So I'm evolving as and growing and adapting in what I know that I need to learn um, and what I where the gaps are that I've that have existed in my own training. Um, so I'm I see the challenges perhaps real tangible challenge of working cross discipline is scheduling. <laughs> just just they're the real basic of scheduling scheduling meetings because we all are running um, the other ways, but keeping at the center what the mission of the of the team is um, and being willing to learn from those team members. Um, a big challenge would be is if, if a team member is resistant to learning or resistant to opening their thoughts to um, that there's value in, in perspective from a different um, discipline. So how do you how do you run as a as a PI right when you have people who are coming into a project that are talking almost an entirely different language like I know when I worked with some people in computer science like I just had to completely like understand that I do not know what is happening in this part of the project because I I can't like comprehend it but it's a part of say an integration of STEM into PE project. Like I am not an expert all of a sudden on this topic and you just have to trust that person and know that it's getting translated to students that they understand it. So do you, do you feel like a push pull there on not expanding too much so you can still kind of understand the scope of the project as a PI? So I'll speak and then if others have different perspective, so I kind of see myself as, and I know that Hal Lawson would, is, he's not coined this term, but as a bridge builder or a boundary crosser, right? So PI in, in my world and in my, the position that I'm in, I feel like I have a responsibility to not only understand what's going on in that, in your example, right? If computer science, but then I need to understand it well enough to be able to translate that to my school partners or to the administrators. So I try to serve as a, a mechanism. Um, I don't need to be an expert, right, in computer science, but I need to trust my colleague well enough and ask them to communicate it to me so that I can then translate and communicate it to my community partners, right? That research practice partnership. We need to have people who are able to speak the research to practice and also the practice to research. Um, because without that ability to communicate, then people fall off projects really quick um, and feel intimidated by researchees or higher education ease and uh, don't see the application. So uh, it does take a little bit of work to translate. Um, but I think that I become we become a stronger partnership team as a result of it. Thank you so much. And thank you for the additional questions. And um, I think Emily provided a really good summary at the start of her last response, just about um, how each of the partnerships serve different needs, um, but have so much in common. And so I think um, 
thank you, first of all, to all of the panelists who joined us today, um, Aaron and Luciana and Desmond and JK, and for sharing those things. And I think it's it's been said in the chat, but it's worth saying out loud that it's really actually exciting to think of all the different partnerships that exist within our um, field and to think of ways that we can continue to foster those collaboratively together, but then also across different groups and sectors and things to get things done. And um, not only from a research perspective and an advocacy, but you know, to increase representation and to fill gaps and, and address challenges um, with like-minded folks. So thank you again all for being here. Um, and I'm excited for um, other folks who weren't able to join us because of spring breaks and starting conference travel and different things. Um, to be able to listen to the session on the podcast. Um, speaking of which, um, we um, are moving next month's uh, collaborative till April 20th, um, just so that it doesn't conflict with um, conferences. And so we will not be meeting on our typical second um, Thursday of the month. It'll be, I guess that is likely the third. Um, I haven't counted. And so we'll see everyone um, April 20th um, for the next Peak Collaborative. Um, we're gonna stop the recording um, now. And then if folks wanna stay on for a little bit more informal conversation, um, that would be great. But again, thank you so much um, to our panelists and for those of you for joining the conversation. I think uh, we are in a very healthy place um, in our field as far as some of the exciting partnerships that are being developed. So thanks to all.